Hello, it is Friday, and that means bring it in with me, Gerard Hector, and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? Gerard, my friend, I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. We had a hell of a game on TNT last night. Bucks uh, at Nets, the first game, the 7:30 game. Lots to unpack and discuss from that game. And I kind of wanted to start here. Um, you know, last week we talked about how the NCAA tournament has this built-in magic with it that is something the NBA just doesn't have, right? The storylines, the upsets that can happen, a 15 can beat a 2, all that stuff that a single tournament has that the NBA isn't quite built for. But I thought that that particular regular season game last night against with the Bucks and the Nets had so much compelling drama in it that it was exciting to watch. When you, as a coach, watched the game, I know you had some thoughts about the level of basketball being played. What did you think about Well, I mean, you framed it perfectly. The, the, I, I don't always watch Thursday night games live. I frequently will watch them on Synergy the next morning and just go through the possessions. But I said to my wife after we sat down for dinner, you know what, sweetie, you know, get your phone out. I'm going to put some nice music on. I'm going to give a little massage and all of that. But I need to watch this game. Like, it's, it felt what you described is right. It felt something. And then I thought they looked like I, I, ne- I don't know that I ever did this in college. If I did, maybe it was one time. Uh, they used to call it like drunk softball, where every time you're at bat, you <laughs> chug a beer, whatever stupid rules they are. I thought it looked like drunk basketball. It looked like two teams that really wanted to win. Don't get me wrong. I thought there was playoff-level intensity there. There was, there was an animus going on between the two teams, but they just had – they're out of gas. And so it was – I told Henry on the phone this morning, Gerard, I am not exaggerating when I tell you that of the 38 turnovers in the game, forget about deflections and missed layups, 38 turnovers. Those teams combined to average 26 and change, 26 and a half. Uh, many of the turnovers, Gerard, had they done that as a JV player, they're coming right out of the game. Like they were egregious turnovers, not because of some kind of amazing defense, of which there were some good defensive plays. So that's why I call it drunken back. Chris Middleton, he wanted to get ejected. Like, he was, he was the worst of all of them. He made some unbelievably dumb plays. To include, he got a shot block not once but twice. Three, oh, three it, times, I think, oh, by Bruce Brown. Three times by Brown. Well, maybe mm-hmm. the third one I missed mm-hmm. for some I, – I couldn't – my wife even said to me, I swore to you, she was reading an article, and she heard me like – I'm saying things like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, my God, what the fuck is going on? Jesus, what the fuck is going on? She finally said, what happened? I said, this guy, Chris Middleton, is making some of the dumbest mistakes I've ever seen him make. And it just made no sense, but they're dead. To our point, for the last couple of years now, they 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 want to do it, but their minds are toast. Generally speaking, obviously there's exceptions and all of that. So, but I I thought it was thrilling. It was a thrilling game, and I definitely want to see it in the playoffs. And the other part, Gerard, I need to mention this now. <laughs> Nobody ran a fucking thing. All right, I watched it again yeah, this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Budenholzer's. Spread out, spread out, spread out. Nets are barely passing the ball. It's a little bit of screening here and there. They're not tipping their hat to anything because they know, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the percentage chance is, but it's not small. We might see them. It's not small that they mm-hmm. play each other in round one. So ne- yep. neither coach was saying, we're not giving you one glimpse. You, as well as you know us anyway, we're not going to do it again. When it's mm-hmm. 10 days, we're playing again. That's what, I, that's what it looked like to me. Let's just play street ball pick up ball with all of our talent. When I say street ball, no special things. The first play of the game for the Nets resulted in a desperation Steph Curry shot. Like, they didn't run anything yeah, on play yeah. one. That tells you something. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, so it's the end of the regular season, right? And we talk about this all the time. These guys are out of gas, not to mention, and I'll bring it up again. This is the third season in two calendar years. These guys are exhausted, right? Like, and they need that week off break that they're going to get, although they're going to be practice and stuff to get themselves ready for the playoffs because this is a grueling season. And we talked about it off air before we started and the NBA is going to be expanding soon just so we need more regular season games to make the, the best part of the season is the tournament that decides the championship. We will all agree upon that, yeah. right? So why would you want your players to be the most tired they're going to be at the most important time, right? That to me is just like ass backwards, but is what it is. Um, there were so many things I found interesting in that game. And you mentioned coaches not tipping their hand. Here's something I saw, coach, that I would love your expertise on as a coach. Kessler Edwards, who I know you know well for, as a player, um, he played a lot of uh, minutes this season because of all the injuries and COVID, etc. However, based on how the NBA contracts work, he will not be eligible for the postseason roster based on whatever they did with the two-way and G League and all that. In last night's game, he played in the first quarter, knocked down two threes, and they had him on Giannis a couple of times. Now, clearly with whatever the defensive strategy was or just rookie making a mistake, he was clearly positioned to do something, right? Where it was, I'm going to, I have to give up something. But he was giving up letting Giannis go to the baseline, right? As opposed to giving him, making him rotate towards the middle of the court. I imagine his fear was, well, if he goes baseline, all he can probably do from there is score versus... If he goes towards the middle of the court, he can make that cross-court pass to a wide-open person in the corner for a three, I'm assuming. So he made those two mistakes. Kerr calls a timeout, and Kessler Edwards sits the rest of the game. And I'm just like, this is a six-foot-seven dude who has shown he can knock down threes from the corner. As good as Patty Mills and Seth Curry and Goran Dragic are, you cannot coach six-foot-seven. You either have that or you don't have that. That just is what it is. And to me, it would be relevant, even if it made the game worse in that instance, to give him more reps doing that and make the correction, hey, Kessler, you got to mix it up. Give him the baseline sometimes, sometimes go the other. Just give him a little bit of coaching and put him back in the game because he is someone who I think would be valuable on this team's roster come postseason. But it doesn't matter now because he won't make the postseason. So, so let me go back a little bit because I, I love the point you're bringing up. Uh, I did not know this. So he is not eligible to play in the postseason. All right. No. So the, no. your argument would be he, they have him for next year, don't they? All right. Yes. So we can wear you down. It don't matter. We're not, you're not going to be too tired to play in the postseason. You're not playing in the postseason and save someone else's legs a little bit. That would be one argument. Correct. Uh, as it relates to the specific thing you're talking about, I have any, I have no idea what their plan was. I will tell you that in most cases, with the exception of Jerry Sloan's, uh, many of his jazz teams, uh, we always force sideline baseline, not middle. For what you for basically for the reasons why you said, it just gives too many passing options as opposed to sideline baseline. Remember, baseline is a defender. You can't go past it. You can't touch it. Correct. Correct. So I have a rule. I have a chapter in my book called "The Baseline Is Death." Because it just a lot of turnovers happen there. There are exceptions, and players like Giannis take very good advantage <laughs> of the exceptions. They're incredible. My guess is, if I'm coaching against Giannis, and I've helped many players have to defend Giannis, uh, you don't want to give him an unimpeded path through the baseline to the basket. You want to at least be someone in the way. He still may bully down you, but bully you down. But you should have help coming. So I don't know that it's his fault. 
I, I don't, I don't, uh, when, when Nash called timeout, took him out, I don't know what all that was happening, but I completely agree with you. Mistakes are the reference points that help inform what our next practice looks like. Because now we can envision what we did, whether it's a skill or a defensive slide or a defensive stance, or it's going for a fake. All those things are reference points for the future. You have, as I tell every player all the time, including my son as he rose up the ranks, even today when I spoke to him, uh, you have to make every mistake in the book, son, and normally more than once. If you're making it 9, 10, 11 yes. times in a short period of time, you're in some trouble. But you're going to make some mistakes. <laughs> like, this is a mistake game that's yeah. built into the cake, baked into the cake. So, uh, and I really like your point, especially when you mentioned Curry and, uh, and Drogic. Drogic. We used to you can't mm -hmm. see 6'7". And Patty Mills. It's, yeah, it's 6'7 and athletic. Kessler's a good athlete, and he's, what, 37% from three? Very good athlete. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's the kind of guy you need to have next to your scorers as athletes because of what you can teach them to do defensively. You got to let them make mistakes and coach them up through it. I agree with you. It is it is so interesting. And, you know, he did also pick up the two, two so quick what? fouls in the first quarter, so that was part of it too. But it's like, guys, like, again, to your point, you so what? six. Like, so what? <laughs> right, you have six. It, it, it doesn't matter. I just, you know, and that's a coach's, you know, and Nash is no victim to that. Is no, you know, he's not unlike any other coach, right? Where that's just their, their their mindset. Oh my god, they messed up. You yank them, and it's like, but you gotta learn, man. Like this is, and ultimately, yes, they would have liked to have won that game, and they surely could have won it. Yeah. Um, but I think that is a point that you know, again, you might it might come back and be like, damn. Should have probably let Kessler just play more because it, it would be a great reference point for him, as I, you mentioned. I, I, I want to go back on something else that you said earlier because um, you, you kind of made me think about this. We've talked about – you talked about expansion. We've talked about how the schedule needs to be shortened. So one thing people like you and I have talked about is uh, you play every team twice, home and away, and then maybe play every team in your conference one more time. I'd like to see a little bit more creativity. To, to, to hit a point on that, that you and Henry have hit a lot, I'm probably more of a purist. I used to be. Now I'm, I just want to save the game and get people to watch, uh, which is where I think you guys, like you and Henry, have been all along. And you're, you were right and I was wrong. Um, we, we should, you know, the NFL, I used to follow the NFL. Maybe it's changed. You play every team in your division twice, home and home. And then you mm -hmm. kind of revolve around the league with divisions. Yes. And then based on mm -hmm. where you finished in the standings, that also, I like that for the NBA. And here's why I'm saying this. Yeah. So last night I had that feeling. Okay. Well, there are two Eastern teams, but had it been Milwaukee Phoenix or Brooklyn Phoenix or any of these better teams, and and they why would why only two times? Why not a third time? You want to you want to get more fans in your stadium, win more games, and then we'll get you a third game against LeBron. Well, LeBron, their team stinks, but against the better teams, then you'll get the <laughs> extra game, and every other year it'll be a home game if you only play it three times total. I think we need to be more creative in that thought process of how do we get more must-see TV games? And if you shorten the schedule yeah. and more, think about it, think about that ratio. More important games and then less overall games is a way better ratio for the NBA, right? Yeah, no. More I'm important games, less 100%. total games. It means we're playing more games that people want to see. We all win. It, it's a win-win. And it, it, it happens to start thinking about that, particularly as the options for casual fans and just people who would tune in that changes over time right like you're gonna we, there's so many more options and streaming platforms different things to choose from that 
a game against, you know, Orlando on a Tuesday. Nah, <laughs> you know, people aren't going to watch that. The other thing I noticed, Coach, we talked about the size. Um, you can see, too, for Brooklyn where, first of all, you can also see why this team is so can be so good, right, when they're, when, they're, when they're connected. But you can also see why the Ben Simmons piece is so necessary. Because, again, when you have to play a lineup with Dragic, Mills, Kyrie, and Curry, and Durant all at the same time, or Bruce Brown, it's death. Versus if you could go KD, Ben Simmons, Kessler, Edwards, Kyrie, and Bruce Brown, well yeah. then, oh, look, we're a little bit better equipped. We're more stout on the wing. I completely agree. And I, I want to I wanna use what you're saying into a different argument, but it's, there's a connection here. Um, what Wesley Matthews did last night on the Durant play is as egregious a crime as egregious a crime as you can commit on a basketball court. First of all, you left him <laughs> yeah. open to begin with. That's a whole separate issue. I think that's why he fouled him. Is because he was like, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" It's Kevin Durant. You, 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 there's one thing you simply cannot do against Kevin Durant, and that's foul him shooting a three. He's almost definitely going to make all three. Not definitely, but was he ninety percent in the line? And mm-hmm. uh, and there's a real chance he's going to make the shot <laughs> to begin with. And now it's a four point play. And so I only say this because two things. One. Uh, it's not just rookies making mistakes. All right, there were 38 turnovers last night. It wasn't all rookies. It may have been no rookies, to be clear. I, I don't remember any rookies making any mistakes last night. Maybe they made a few. Because mm-hmm. that may play. Um, right. And two, enough of the old guys. Like, enough. You know how many, <laughs> many threes P.J. Tucker's made the last, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 games? Five. Five. Not many. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I right. get it. I know why you guys like old guys. I, I, tough guys. Wesley Matthews and PJ both uh, both fit that bill, but man, give me some Kessler Edwards. Let me coach him up. Let me just keep coaching, keep coaching, keep coaching, and they can do so much more than just make a corner three and 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 be tough. And I realize defensive uh, IQ matters a ton. I understand that, but that's what of you got to do is coach them. You got to coach those dudes up, and it's a, it's a shame to me that they um you know we just keep playing these old guys and and yet they make the same dumb mistakes young guys do. Yeah, I, I want to talk about basketball as jazz is one of your favorite sayings that you, it's the name of your book that you, that you wrote. And what's so interesting about jazz, and I was thinking about this during the game last night, and players often talk about the flow of the game, right? Like you'll hear them talk about it at the end, you know, this is how the game was flowing, et cetera. And then there are different sort of variables that impact that jazz, right? A normal jazz ensemble of five musicians are on stage somewhere and they're just kind of in tune, in harmony, doing their thing. What isn't happening to them is someone running on stage trying to bash the celloist in the head, someone trying to knock the drum guy cymbals over, right? They're, they're, just, they're just trying to find it within, with, within a parameter that's designed for them to do that. The tough part about playing jazz and basketball is there's five other jazz people on the other side trying to wreck your whole jazz ensemble, right? And I thought it was just interesting. Again, a lot of it was tired legs and just running, whatever. You just saw a lot of things just getting mucked up. Right. Like it's like, oh, they want to do this thing right here. I can kind of see the beginnings of what they want to do. But now there's them, them other dudes are like, now nah, you're not doing that. We, we don't we don't want you to get into that nice harmony. And I, I and that's ultimately right. That's the playoffs. That's what's going to come down to which team, which jazz ensemble can play the most harmonious for the longest. Right. That's who's going to win the title. Yeah. In uh, in the book that Henry reviewed with about Dirk, they interviewed Dirk and his coach and everything. Um 
there, the, the passage that Henry initially read to me that re I really fell in love with was his coach's explanation to Dirk that uh, in music, they don't stop after the first, after, after a mistake in a note. It's the next note that matters. And that, okay, that is what jazz is. And that's very much basketball. As I said, mistakes are baked into the cake. It's in the DNA. And so it's what you do, the beat after the wrong step, the wrong eye turn, the wrong head turn. Uh, your hands are too low, your hands are too high, you reach in. Uh, there's, it, there's, it's never ending. The variable is involved in what we can do that's wrong. And then how do we make up for it? It's one reason why I've talked a lot about the brilliant processing minds of NBA players. It, I, I've coached a long time. I'm an old man. As, well, I groomed up a little bit. You can't see quite as gray as I am, but it's very gray. Um, boy, I've coached some brilliant, brilliant players. I'm astounded sometimes at how fast they can process uh, because I also can contrast that to players that can't process fast, Gerard. They just can't think that fast. That doesn't mean they're dumb. They just don't process fast. My, my dad, who I dreamed about last night, which I do almost every night these days, uh, was an amazing Trivial Pursuit player, uh, Gerard, but a nightmare because he, he's a slow processor. His, he, he had three boys that are not, we are fast processing dudes. My dad would just sound things out and sound things out and work through, you know, who wrote the 17th, we played Trivial Pursuit when I was, you know, 14. And it was terrible <laughs> because he would eventually figure it out, but it took him 15 damn minutes. It, it make him dumb. He was not, not a dumb man. He's a lawyer, but uh, he just figured things out slowly. That doesn't work in chess mm -hmm. and basketball. Time matters, right. man. You got to be up. You got to be on it, right? Improv. I have mm -hmm. a friend who does. Yes. Uh, Steve Shenbaum does improv training. I said, dude, you're training basketball players mm -hmm. that way. It's not just media training. We have to think on our feet quickly, and we have to recover from a mistake all the time. Being brand dead. Well, you know, last night was a great example of. Guys wanting to do well, and that's one reason why they have 38 turnovers. They sometimes are too casual because they're tired mentally more than anything, but also because they want to do something, can't think fast enough. Our brains, when they're drunk, we don't, we don't, we err. Old people, correct. Drunk people, they make mistakes they never should make. And so I thought that was a great example of that last night. Um, I also thought last night. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Kyrie Irving is just phenomenal. But I see my dad in my dreams these days. He might see Drew Holiday in his nightmares. That is not a fun <laughs> guy to go against, is it? No, no. Drew, Drew is such an excellent defender, and it doesn't really matter who, whether it's a guard, a wing, a big. Like He's just so stuck about processing yeah. speed. He's so fast. He knows where to have his hands at all times. Like He's stout. Like He just... Drew Drew was the perfect I mean they won the championship last year in large part because they had Drew Holiday right like it, it just he makes this thing go in so many ways of course Giannis is the engine and we're going to talk about him and KD yeah. right now in a second but it's just that you know Drew Drew is excellent and you know again with Kyrie Kyrie is one of the more brilliant offensive minds and thinkers of the game he'll figure some things out and be like, all right, Drew likes to do this. I got something for that next, right? There'll be a counter, right? And I think that's what we want to see, the chess match between these brilliant players and or what can they do within the team right. scheme and concept, right? How can I get Drew off right. of me, right? And onto somebody else, right? Create some other action somewhere else to get the desired matchup that yeah. we want, yeah. right? And so I think, I think we'll see some of that for sure. So Giannis, by the way, scored 44 last night. It was incredible. 11 board, six assists, passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and became the Bucks' all-time leading scorer. Um, and, you know, 
he is excellent. And you had in the rundown, Gerard, let's talk about this aliens thing, because I'm not so sure that in the in the picking of who are the aliens, I'm not picking Giannis before I pick Kevin Durant. And I was like, you know, I, I listen, if you did that, I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at you. And as, as you often say, you wouldn't be wrong. It if you is. Did. Um, Those two guys. I mean, I've been saying Giannis all year. You've been saying KD all year. And I do not think you're stupid for saying KD. Because every, as you saw last night, everyone knew KD was getting the ball. KD got the ball to mm-hmm. win the game. And he almost made it. Like a little more arc, it probably goes in. So th- that's a talent. But there's a, there's some things Giannis brings that it's just so amazing. I was so proud of KD though last night because he is not young compared to Giannis. No. 33? Yeah, which is not old. I mean, 33 and 36 to me is a big difference. Um, but 33 is old in basketball and, and, compared to 27, and, which is what Giannis is. And he had an ACL injury a couple years ago. Achilles. Achilles. And, and Achilles injury, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought KD's fight last night, uh, I mean, defensively, uh, was great. He was really yeah, good defensively last night. I, I really, uh, I love his competitiveness, the joy he has to play uh, compared to someone like Trey Young that's already bored with the regular season after one finals run. Like, come on, man. I just don't understand it. Keep that up, buddy. You you, you may may not make the finals ever again with that that kind of mindset, my guy. You're not going to make it as a 10 seed, I can tell you that. Uh, I thought those two guys last night, Gerard, were just spectacular. Yeah, they were really great. They they, they were great, Coach. I I enjoyed watching Giannis last night. And what's, you know, you always say the hardest step to make is from good to great in the NBA, right? Or great to elite. And Giannis is there, man. Like, he, he... He's turned into a reliable free throw shooter now. He was what, fifteen to nineteen last night or something of that nature. Two in a row at late, and and then made the last two. Seventy something percent from the line. Uh, He had been he had done that early in his career. Then he started going down. He's back up in his Mm seventies. That's good enough. Eighty would be great. Yeah, ninety would be unbelievable. But seventies is good enough. Seventies is you're not going to do Hacker Giannis at seventy percent. No, no, no. And he hit a step back three to tie the game uh, late in regulation. You know. His, we joke about like, you know, on Twitter, guys say, oh, so-and-so's in his bag, right? And the year, the rap on Giannis for years has been, that dude yeah, got right. a bag. He barely has a, oh, he's got a bag how about, now. How like, about the dunk? <laughs> and I did not rewind it. Uh, they played it one of the time. He had a dunk driving left first half that absolutely shocked me. He got to the rim so fast and he, he's got those, you know, incredibly long arms and he wants the dunk on you. Like they're... There, I've coached mm-hmm. a lot of Europeans. I know that he's not really European, but he did grow up there. Um, I've coached a lot of Europeans who are very athletic, Gerard. But th- th- finesse and style and smoothness, and right. I have to remind them, fucking dunk the ball. And yeah. I don't he's... know. If, that, Giannis doesn't have that problem. Like, George Gervin could dunk a lot more. He liked the finger roll, so it's not just Europeans. Yeah. Giannis is looking to dunk on your teeth all the time. But this one dunk in particular was really spectacular. Like, just... I remember special. the one you're talking yeah. about. He 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 is a he is a fierce competitor yeah. as we have in this league right now, and, and he wants to destroy you every sure. time on the floor. And you can and you can see it. And that, as you often say, that is a skill, right? That level of fire and competitiveness that is a skill. And it is you know he just wants to constantly be better and better and better and better, right? And ultimately, right? You know all the stories about having to lock him out of the gym because he wants to keep working and working. You know, and of course, the immigrant mindset is related to that, right? Like, considering how he grew up and all of that, like, his whole life, forget about anything that happened, getting drafted into the NBA, anything after that was gravy on his life. So, he's, everything from here, from then to now is gravy, 
right? So, I mean, he, and to have the level of work ethic to continually want to be among the all-time greats and best, that is incredible. And he's going to be there for sure. I mean, he's already there. Um, you know, when we're talking about the best players in the world, and that's a, that's a title that kind of rotates back and forth, right? Sometimes you hold it for a while, sometimes you lose it. No, it just, that's the nature. And when you're talking about the six best players in the world, and in whatever order you want to say, it's Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, uh, Durant, LeBron, and Curry to me. Those are the six best players when healthy in basketball. And the fact that Curry's even on that list and he's the smallest of the, of the six on there shows how great he is. You're splitting hairs with who you want to pick. I don't care. Pick whoever you want. It doesn't, you're not going to lose a lot of games picking any one of those six guys. Um, it's, it's a choice, though. A lot of it comes down to aesthetics and personal preference. Now, if you're talking about building a team and starting, well, of course you're going to start with the young guys because I have more future runway ahead of me with, with someone like with Giannis, right? But if you're talking about one game or one whatever, it's like, mm, you know, you might change your mind and, and, and decide who to pick. And Logan Murdoch of The Ringer did a great um, profile of Durant. And I thought there were just such amazing insights in there. And there's something I wanted to talk about that I thought was interesting as it relates to the best players in the world and all that. So Logan had asked him about, you know, you know, the greatest players of all time. And this was, this was Durant's response. I'll put it like this. If let's say Michael Jordan and LeBron James had to pick and we were playing a five-on-five game, they're picking me. I'm going to be a part of that 10 that's playing in that game. That's how I feel. And we've talked about this before. There's a difference between a top 10 career in terms of accolades and, and, and awards, all NBAs, all-stars, MVPs, and all that stuff, and just straight up, who are the 10 best basketball players you've ever seen in your life? As I've always said, you'd be hard-pressed to pick 10 guys ahead of Kevin Durant. You're talking about the 10 best basketball players you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's not even, it's, it's not a debate. I understand why you're bringing it up. Uh, I, I don't think the guys from the, until you got to the 80s, none of those guys are on the list. Even Oscar Robertson, I'm sorry. Um, what they did is incredible. If you teleported them when they were 12 or 9 or 10 to today, might they still be one of the 10 best? Sure, it's possible. I don't know. But I just know how those guys played. And there's just nothing like uh, – there's a picture of Kareem and, Gian, uh, and um, Giannis. Uh, and Kevin Durant and Giannis are the same size. And Kareem, Kareem and Giannis are the same size, basically. Maybe Kareem shrunk a little bit. He is 80 years old or whatever he is. He's close to it anyway. Um, these are gigantically tall men. But in those days, they were just back-to-the-basket centers. And these guys are as athletic as anyone they've ever seen. Not that Will Chamberlain wasn't a great athlete, Kareem. They were. They couldn't dribble the ball. Like, they weren't breaking mm-hmm. people down off the dribble. They might win an attract meet, but so would Durant. Mm-hmm. So would Giannis and those guys. But Durant can shoot off the dribble and all the things that he can do with the dribble and all of that. Uh, so, yes, to me, as you're looking best all time in the context that you describe, of course, Kevin Durant is in there. He's He... He has the he is the Phil Mickelson of of uh, basketball. Phil was incredible, mm-hmm. but he played in the area of, era of Tiger. And uh, mm-hmm. what's interesting about Durant is you had LeBron, Durant right there, and then Giannis. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. that should not at all. It doesn't distract any of us from Durant. Only the average fan, anyone that really follows the game, including my son and his generation, all know. Like he's almost like a guy that way. He's that special a player. Um, Hey, but you bring up th- this whole argument, this, this whole discussion brings up how I think we should be determining all NBA. 
and we and we're not going to do that yet. But the idea is, yeah. I, I we we have to stop with this position nonsense. Yeah, we're because done there's that. no positions on the court anymore. There's basketball you don't players need it. on both ends. I heard I heard a, a yeah. good reporter say yesterday he he puts you in the position based on who you defend, and that's just silly. Because what do you mean? He, they're def- he's just defending a player. He's not defending a position. You can't do it by size. That's for sure. And teams are constantly running five-out movement where no one's in the paint. They're all guarding the perimeter. They're all guarding every kind of action. Uh, it's, uh, it's just silly. And uh, so to me, I'm going to put together my best five players uh, as a team. Now, Mm-hmm. If there's five players, the best five are definitely a center. Maybe I'll have to adjust that. But that isn't the issue now. They're primarily a center, no, meaning no. they're not primary ball handlers a ton. I have no problem putting Embiid and Jokic together. And, in fact, I, I did a playful five of Durant, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, and Curry. Or you could put Luke in there. One of the, no one's beating that five ever in the history of man. Certainly not this year. Those five. If you don't think I can defend you Never. with Embiid and, and Jokic, you ain't watching basketball. If I've got Giannis exactly. there and Durant there too, I'm just fine. Exactly. <laughs> you, I, I love that team. We're gonna give the game away a little bit when we do our All NBAs at the end last last bringing in episode of the regular season. You can easily have a team with Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid on it. Just let's just start with those three, and I've already got plenty of ball handling and shooting right there just from those three alone. Before I even add my right. other two guys. Giannis can be a ball sure. handler. So can Jokic. We we have if you watch basketball, you've yeah. seen it. So we're already good from yeah. the jump. So no, we don't need positions. That's unnecessary. Like who are the five best guys? Let's strap it up and see right. what we got. See what right. we got going. Your first team it. should be the second team by a few. Your second team should be the third team by a few. Your third team should be the honorable mentions by a few. Like this is, and if they beat them by more, it just means yeah. it's clear cut. Like to me, there's probably three clear cut, maybe four, maybe Durant's the fourth where. He has to be on the list. I don't. I don't know because we don't have to make that decision yet. We can wait a little bit more. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take a look and, and see where it ends. You know, I, I want to. You know, leadership is one of the things that you talk about, and I want to kind of stay on this with Durant because, to me, he's an interesting person as a leader, yeah. right? Um, and we, you define leadership, coach, as breathing spirit uh, into the hearts of others, hearts and minds of others, right? And there are all different styles and ways to do that. There is the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant school of leadership, which is not really your style coach, but right, that, that, yep. that's a style and it works for some people. There's the Ted Lasso style, which is far more of the breathing spirit into others, right? There's the Curry style. There's all, there's all different ways. And I thought, again, in this piece from Logan Marnock on The Ringer, I thought this was interesting. And I'm going to read just a little section here from Durant. It wasn't like it was a disconnect between us as individuals. And he's talking about when the James Harden trade went down and things started to fracture. I felt like we liked each other. But I was focusing on rehab, and he was focusing on the team. Naturally, I wasn't around the group. But I can't control how everybody feels about their situation. I can do my best and provide what I provide every day. If it helps someone, cool. If it doesn't, that's cool too. But I can't stress myself out wondering how somebody else feels about the situation. When I assumed more of a leadership role when I was in OKC, I want to say around 2012, 2013, I was still young, 24 years old. But I felt like I was more of the experienced guy on the team. I started to understand what it means to have a relationship with my teammates, how I can go out there and impact them mentally as far as my approach and how I approach my craft. Hopefully it rubs off on them as well. I just try to do my part, do my role, realizing that I can't control everything. That was the toughest part about being a quote unquote leader. The amount of control that you don't have is something you have to get used to. 
And I thought those whole, that whole sequence right there was very, very interesting from him. And I've said this before. He is by far not a, this thing is going on. Let me pull you to the side leader guy. It is, I'm going to show you by my actions and how I work and how I approach. And I hope that is how you can see the approach you have to have as my teammate to follow. All right. So um, I love how you put that. Let me just, let me give you my perspective. Uh, biggest picture of all. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant said he thought at that point he was 24 years old. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, my twins are 21 in two months and three days. And I, I, I would argue that people would say they, they got a really good head on their shoulders. And I think they do. Uh, both of them in their own way. Um, I could, I told this, I told this probably to you too. I could drop my, my kids off like in the middle of China and they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll just, they know how to survive that way. Um, they're fucking dumb as hell <laughs> at 21 <laughs> compared to what they're going to be. I think of myself at 24 and 25. And I think people said about me, you have a good head on your shoulders. Uh, I was rock stupid. And so, and I had no money. Like, I, I almost couldn't get myself in trouble because it it's easier being broke that way. <laughs> These guys have to carry themselves on a national spotlight. And now, more than ever with social media, it wasn't the case when Durant was young. With all those expectations and responsibilities, it's, it's honestly, as someone who's in the business now of being a dad for 21 years almost, it's mind-boggling to me how, how, how we as adults... I mean, real adults look at these young guys who are just starting out and expect so much from them and get so upset when they let us down. When we were doing, we were dumber. I was definitely dumber than anything Durant was doing at 24, I promise you. I just wasn't smart. I wasn't worldly. There's so much more worldly, and that helps because they get, they get to travel around the world. They get to do a lot of things. They get to be around more people that can influence them. There's a benefit to that. Uh, it's just so challenging. And I've said this many times, and Henry kind of pushed back when you and I were talking about this a little bit, and I understand his point. I, I like Durant as a teammate. First of all, I've, I've talked to a lot of players who play with Durant and really loved playing with him. But um, he seems to get, uh, uh, he seems to burn out a little bit like LeBron does. Every four years, LeBron was out four or five years. But I, I, I like his approach. I like that he could take 50 shots a game and doesn't. Um, I like that he could take more plays off the defense than he does. Uh, Harden takes them off, no problem. Durant doesn't, typically. He, he guarded Giannis first possession last night. He didn't always guard him because they're switching everything too, but he guarded him plenty, including in the clutch. Uh, that's, that should be empowering if you're a teammate. Like, he ain't afraid to get scored on. Why should I be afraid? Uh, I, yeah. You're, you're a huge Durant fan, but, man, I am too. I, I see it. <laughs> I see it, and I can see it in a way that most people can't. The, what he's able to do at his size and age and responsibilities is, is basically breathtaking. It, it very much is. How do you feel about that type of leadership, the idea of I'm not a talker to talk to you guy? Because a lot of that came up around the Ben Simmons situation. Somebody, uh, in one of the post postgames, uh, one, one of our colleagues asked, him you know have you talked to ben about x y and d and durant's like i'm not i don't hold anybody's hand in this league that's not what i do he's like i work i do what's necessary if someone wants to come and ask me something i'll happily talk to them but ew, we're all adults here we're all professionals 
you see me and how I work, that's how I that's how I show you the example of what it takes. How do you feel about that versus the other type of leadership that's much more tangible? Yeah, no, but I think the way we frame it is the same. Uh, you and I both, I'm sure we could think of people that have inspired us without ever directly even talking to us. Why would it be any different to a teammate seeing what I just talked about, what you've talked about? This guy brings it. He laces up as much as possible. He guards the other team's best player plenty. He, he's all the things that he does. Uh, that is inspirational too. Uh, it's, I, I'm not suggesting that he might be better off if he was a little more vocal, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to suggest that he can't be a good leader because he isn't. I don't believe that to be the case. I think that, that there's many ways to lead. And I don't think it's right to say there's only one best way. Um, uh, and sometimes too, Gerard, I think you would agree with this, but if you don't, let me know. Uh, he, I think it's easier to embrace Kevin Durant as a teammate and, and accept what he's really trying to show you in terms of modeling behavior when he's not so in your face. You know, I mean, sometimes guys, remember, there's lots of ways to lead. There's also lots of ways to follow. Some guys are belligerent and they would push back on mm -hmm. Durant. Well, he's not giving anything to push back on. So yeah, maybe he'd reach other players more if he was more in, your, in their face, but he also would turn some players off that way. So there's no one way to do it. That's, what, that's where management coaching come in too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm mm -hmm. sure Steve Nash is saying frequently, guys, look, look at this guy. Like when, when all of you guys are grandparents, you're going to tell your grandchildren that you played with him. He's not going to be telling his grandchildren he played with you. That's just reality. <laughs> now, now, if you saw him in a, in a restaurant, he'd put his, I'm, I mean, knowing Durant the way I do indirectly, he'll put his arm in. This guy was set great screens. He made a big shot in a big game. He was a great ball handler. But he isn't telling stories about you day to day, but you're telling stories about him. And yet, look how he's playing every day for us. Look how he's practicing. Look how he gets his extra shots up and competing. That's inspirational also. There's many ways to do it. No, I, I'm with you there 100%. Speaking about a team that is inspirational, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, you had an article that came out today on True Hoop. Make sure everybody goes out and checks that out. And you call them Team Dynamite, which I love that nickname for them. I think it's great. That's exactly who they are. They've been 19-2 and two without uh, John Morant this season, which is <laughs> outstanding. And has a lot to do with the culture and the players they have and everything else. And I want to talk about the Grizzlies coach because I view them in contrast to a team like the Atlanta Hawks where you look at both of them and they're both teams with young talent, right? Loaded with young talent. Now, the Hawks do have Clint Capella and Bogey, right? So they got some veterans on that team and, you know, that kind of bring the average age and up Gallinari. a little bit. But they're more important. And Gallinari. But going forward, right, the guys that matter, Young, young Hunter, Herder, Okongwu, they're young, right? Just like Ja, Triple J, Bane, et cetera, et cetera. Here's one of the things I see, and you talk about this in your article, you're big on this, and I always say that, and you always say, Gerard, you're big on this too, is the cheerleading and the way in which guys jump up and down and are invested in success. There is a way in which the Memphis Grizzlies players all feel like Ja's ascension to superstar is not just about him. It's about yeah. them. They all feel a part yeah. of it, and it's together. And Coach, when I watch the Hawks, I don't feel like the other Hawks players feel like they're part of Trey Young's rise. I said that is... That is not the vibe I get, right? It ain't the same kind of like AAU backpack kids. Like we're having, it just, it's just not. It's night and day. We talked about Trey at the beginning and what he said at the beginning of the season and all that. That's a conversation for a different day. 
but I love what I'm seeing from this Hawks team. They are a team coach that maybe before Atlanta has a chance of winning. And I love for you to talk about from your piece, particularly that game against the Bucks, where they made a free throw. They, they got the lead down to a, a number where it could be manageable, but there was no jump up and down and raw from the Bucks. And the Grizzlies were like, no, this is, this is who we are. And they just, the Bucks never got closer than that, right? It's just, it went back up again, game over. What is it about this Grizzlies team that fascinates you so much and why you love yeah, it? Yeah, so on that particular play, it was early fourth quarter. The, the Bucks had cut it maybe to 11 or 12. Giannis has a hard drive. He gets fouled. It wasn't anything amazing. It was, we see the show with Giannis all the time. But I particularly focus, I watched it a lot to see if anyone reacted from the Bucks, like, all right, let's go. Nothing. <laughs> Crickets. No, no one clapped. No one smiled. No one stood up. It was, it was clearly they were like, can we just go home? Like, this team has kicked <laughs> our ass. I just want to go home. And Ja didn't play. No, neither did Drew. But the Bucks had everyone else. And um, I, think, I think what I came down to, what I, talk about, I write about in the article, is what Ja is amazing at and what he isn't so good at fit in so perfectly with how the Grizzlies play. So he's their worst shooter and probably their worst defender and their best player. So when he doesn't shoot because he's not playing, their better shooters get more shots because he gets the most shots on the team. Well, that's a good thing. Well, when he doesn't play Tyus Jones plays, he's a better defender and only has one turnover a game as a starter. Amazing. That means they're getting more shots, more, more shots from good shooters when Morant doesn't play. They destroy you on defense. That's why I call them T Dynamite. They lead the league in steals, they lead the league in block shots, and Morant doesn't lead them in either. He's just another dude on both. You'd think he'd lead the team in steals. He doesn't. DeAnthony Melton does coming off the bench. Pretty amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, so he does. So when he's missing, they can ramp up these other things. Now they're missing the dynamic activity, whatever, but they make it up in the aggregate, which I write about and I quote Moneyball. They get 35% of the available offensive rebounds. It leads the league. They're getting the most shots and the most free throws in the game combined. And when you have elite level defense, and I call them Team Dynamite because they blow shit up. They lead the teams, they lead the league in steals and blocks, as I said, and offensive rebounds. They're blowing shit up. And they're so dynamic also. So that combination is scary. And then the Raptors win the championship. They were 17 and 5 when Kawhi was out. That should have told us something. I don't think they win the championship without all those injuries from the Warriors. But it's not like they were, it wasn't a fluke that Toronto made it. Yeah, it was Kawhi's mm-hmm. crazy shot in the corner, but they still were mm-hmm. deserving it. 17 to 5 without their best player. Well, this team is 19 and 2 without their best player. That, yeah, it, if Phoenix stays healthy, uh, they're, they're probably the biggest threat. If Denver got Murray and MPJ back, which doesn't look likely, and we're getting real late here, it's probably mm-hmm. the Suns' year in the West, and I think they're going to win the championship, but they better be healthy because this team doesn't need to be totally healthy to beat you. And, uh, and I yeah. completely agree with you, Gerard, on the um, – they've, they've kinda, they kind of feel like they're part of Jaws' success. I think it's a really great point you're making. Whereas Trey Young, who is a I – mean, he's top few in league in assists, isn't he? It's not like he's not, he's not like mm-hmm. he's a ball yeah. hog. And, and he's top in total right. points, so too. he's killing he's, it and he's yeah. passing it. But I agree with you. I think that for some reason they identify as, as like Jaws' brother – and not just a teammate like maybe they do with Trey in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. There's just something about Ja and, and his realness. That's why he's easily compared to Iverson. It's not just how he plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's just a way to connect with him. 
And he's as excited as anyone at their success. He's not taking it personally. It's like, hey, all the better. Yeah. They're they're loaded to be good for for years years on end now. Yeah, and we got to give Taylor Jenkins uh, a lot of credit too for having that culture in there and being a good coach. They they you know typically you see it when Jaws out. They run some good stuff, yeah. right? When 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 Jaws out in particular, and it is you know. It's never a problem when a teammate succeeds. And that's that's the sign of, of connectivity. That's connectiveness, right? And you see it on the defensive end. I say it all the time. When you're willing to sell out for your brother, as you said, not your teammate, then you know, all right, these guys are they're connected. And that again, you can't quantify that in terms of numbers and what that means, but it matters, right? Come postseason. And that's that's something that's huge for this team. And the Grizzlies owner, Robert Perra, who I know you know, um, the Grizz, listen. They are in, in in a position, coach. That, and he said that once they're they're ready, the team will for sure go into the luxury tax if they have to to win a title. And the, the jaw extension's coming up, and he's going to get us rookie supermax because he's going to make a top five MVP probably and or an All NBA team. So is what it is, and that's well deserved. You know, I'm curious like what they're going to do from a and GM Zach Kleiman, I believe, um, what they're going to do from a depending on whenever the season ends. It's like all right. Do we try to go out and acquire a free agent to add and say, now we're going all in, chips in the middle of the table, we're doing this thing, right? Or do they just say, no, 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 we're just going to keep exactly what we have because we think this team is good enough as it is once everybody hits their respective ceiling. And that's that's your challenge as a GM, right? What do you do? Okay, two things. One, uh, they can get so much better as is. They are not a great execution team, I don't think. They're there are many possessions where I feel like they never swing the ball. So it's, you know, we call it second side, third side, fourth side. They're one mm-hmm. side, one side, one side. They're, they're, I mean, Bain's in his second year. Jaws in his third year. Jackson's in his third year. Uh, Jones, I think, is in his fourth or fifth year. Uh, Adams is their most experienced guy, but he hasn't won a ton of playoff games. He's won, he's, I mean, playoff series. He won some, mm-hmm. obviously, but uh, uh, they still have a lot of growing to do. But to your excellent question, the Jazz were the best team in the league last year. And they fucked that team up. They now Joe Ingles got hurt, but he was already on his way out. Uh, they didn't bring back. The, they they had easily could have afforded Derek Favors and George Yang. They got rid of them. They brought in Rudy Gay, who was suddenly losing playing time. Uh, they they thought they could fiddle with success and be better. Well, that's what mad scientists do, or in my opinion, dumb executives. Whoever made those decisions, I have no idea, <laughs> and they're paying the price for it. They have fucked that team up. Like we are not going to see this Utah. Quinn, Quinn Snyder's gone. Donovan Mitchell might be gone, or might be Rudy Gobert, or might be Mike Conley. We don't know. But it'd be shocking to see this group again. They went from the best yeah. team in the league, and, and I think they'd have won the title had they been healthy. They didn't. It happens. But it's nice to be number one seed every year. It means you're winning a bunch of games. You got a bunch of home games in the mm-hmm. playoffs. Your fans are super excited. I'd rather disappoint them every year in the playoffs and keep being a one seed. They were built, and they were scoring a ton of points, playing fun mm-hmm. basketball to watch. The Sun screwed up, yep. too. When they had Nash and those guys, they screwed up and changed it all, Braun and Shaq, and ruined that franchise until right now. So to me, if I'm Memphis, I don't do a thing. I coach these guys harder. Let's get better. Uh, I, I think the article had Pierre worth about $15 billion. When I first met him, he mm-hmm. wasn't worth mm-hmm. that at all. Maybe four, I think it was. <laughs> uh, he can afford a luxury tax easily, easily, and not change his life one bit. So... Kudos. I'm glad. I'm glad for Memphis. It's a, the city loves basketball. Yeah. It's a great basketball city in America. A lot more blue collar as a city. Amazing place. I've, I've enjoyed going there many times. 
and uh, they're going to win a whole bunch of games going forward, and they're fun. Team Dynamite is fun. Sure are. They are. They're exciting. I, I want to get down there for the first round uh, if I can because it, it, it's super exciting. Uh, something interesting happened, Coach, we found out this week, um, and it kind of went under the radar, um, but you know, Tim Bontemps of ESPN kind of brought this to everybody's attention. He asked the 76ers and Celtics if the team had to play Toronto in the postseason if they were fully vaccinated, and both teams declined to answer the question. And of course, that means that they're not. Because if you were, why would you? Why would you decline? You would say yes. We are. Um, it's like any. It's like when you ask a player, "Are you vaccinated?" and they say it's a personal choice. I'm like, well, that means you're not. Because if you are vaccinated, what are you? What are you hiding from? There's nothing to hide, right? So, and it was. It turned out because on that injury report the, on Monday, the Celtics were without Tatum, Brown, and Horford, and everybody was like, "Huh? They played the night before and they were fine. No minute restrictions, no anything." And all of a sudden, it was nebulous sort of reasons about why they were out. And everything, everybody's been cagey around it since. I hope that one of those teams, the Sixers or the Celtics, have to play Toronto. Because I want to know who isn't vaccinated. I'm like, you're going to let this, de- especially if you're the Celtics, you, who 538 has predicted as the team most likely to win the NBA championship, if you're, you're going to lose because you guys aren't vaccinated, that's what I want to see. So it'll, it'll be curious to watch what yeah, happens. Yeah, my there. thing is... Um... There's a there's a comedian named Dana Carvey. Uh, I know you know who that is, mm-hmm. and he has a great routine. This is back when his kids were teenagers. Now I think they're in their twenties or whatever, and uh, he's he's mimicking you know he, you know he is with voices. His teenagers, and no matter what he says, one of his boys, I think he had two boys, uh, he says uh, a bunch of fucking bullshit. My wife and I say this all the time: <laughs> bunch of fucking bullshit. That's ex- that's ex- my kids. By the way, are not saying that. Certainly not around me because they were going to sleep at the pool. Wow. Um, when I read this article, Gerard, I thought that's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Like the NBA is embracing gambling. Forget about not taking the vaccine. You and I already, I know you're, you're right with me on like, why the fuck not? These smarter men than you are doing it. Mm-hmm. Women, you can do it too. But you're embracing gambling. People are betting, are taking odds on all sorts of things. And, but now you can't even come clean about that. I realize I, I, I get the privacy concerns. Well, you can't have it both ways. Or you can, but it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Like, I'd rather just yeah. be clean. This is his injury. This is vaccine status. Now gamble all you want. But to have that up in the air, too, right. is some bullshit. 100%. And it's, we talk about it all the time. There are a million things that are going to derail your, your journey. A million landmines on the way to the promised land, which is an NBA title. Why are you adding more landmines to the field? Like, this is something you can control. Eliminate one, right? You chose not to? All right, well, we'll see how that works out. Uh, Philly had a bad loss last night, yeah. coach of the Detroit Pistons. Uh, after the game, Doc was like, asked about, did the bench need to score more? He said, nah, James needs to play better. I was like, right. uh-oh. <laughs> That's a little, listen, I, I don't know who's under more pressure this postseason, Doc or James. It might be equal. I don't know, but it, it ain't looking good in Philly right yeah, now. Yeah, we talked about this. Uh, Harden is spectacular just a couple games ago. It was amazing. And then not. And this is what happens to older players or, or just out of gas players. Same thing. Uh, you're just not going to be consistently incredible. And it's a concern. It's a real concern that they, uh, that they, they have this guy that's not going to be able to bring it. Now, they still might win series because if they can win games when he's great, they win every game he's great, which might be half a series. They're good enough to find a way to squeak out a win or two when he's not. But they're also good enough, bad enough not to. And I think yeah. that Milwaukee is cresting. There's another team that's going to be in my top five for the first time ever. 
that uh, might mm. be able to knock him out, especially in light of what we just mm. talked about. But I'll save that for the end. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just more drama in Philly. Nothing's changed. Yeah, and you know for, what worries me for them is the lineups they have to put out there when, look, you and I both love Tyrese Maxey, but the fact that he has to be the third best player on a championship team or some nights the second best player on a championship yeah. team, that's a lot to ask for a second-year player. It's too a much. Lot yeah, to I ask. agree with you. It's too much. And defensively, he's got a long way to go still. It's hard. It's a hard league. It's the best league in the world. So, um, yeah. No, and, they, you know. They got James Harden to be James Harden and not this James Harden. And I don't – maybe Daryl's – you know, when you're, when you're betting against Daryl, it's like playing poker with, you know, a world-class poker player and you're not. You're, you're just normally going to lose that. And so, uh, I, I, I like Daryl as a friend. I think he's a super – I think he's a great GM, but this might have been a mistake. We'll see. I'm, I, I want him to yeah, be great because the series, the playoffs will be better with a great James Harden. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's switch to, to college before we uh, yeah. do our top five. So there's a great uh, documentary on HBO coming out, or that's out already, called The Women of Troy. And it's about Cheryl Miller and the women's basketball team over at SC. Uh, you know, a lot of people know Cheryl Miller as Reggie Miller's sister. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yes, true, but she was also quite a great basketball player in her own, in her own right. And I remember off at times her saying, "You know, I used to beat Reggie all the time when we were kids." <laughs> Reggie, this is the best thing about siblings and families. Reggie readily admits it; like she kicked my ass all the time. Uh, I love Reggie for that. Um, so I, I want to. I put it on the document for two reasons. One, I've seen that document a few documentary a few times. I always cry. I, I'm so blown away by the magnificence of these women. These, these beautifully strong, strong-minded, strong-willed women who, uh, at a time where we didn't, uh, we, I was at high school, I think in 83 right. when they won the first one, I was a freshman in college, whatever. Um, I, I, they were not embraced to do that the way they are now, mm-hmm. but they were the trailblazers for it. So I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I can't watch that documentary enough. I also can't watch, I didn't write this doc, but there's one with Navratilova and Chrissy Everett. And it's just the oh, two yeah. of them talking, mm-hmm. and it blows me away because these are very – these are women as, as, as I've always imagined women to be, but they were Kobe Bryant. They were Michael Jordan. They wanted to crush their ass. Fiercely competitive. Yeah, you're allowed to do mm-hmm. that as be a woman, and that's what I think that too many dumbass men don't understand. But this Women of Troy thing, I just was so moved. And Cynthia Cooper, I didn't know her story. To, they, mm-hmm. She talks about being from Watts. And then to, to learn Italian fluently mm-hmm. and – this, and, but I, do, I told my wife this. I don't follow women's basketball. I don't follow anything but the NBA and now a little bit of college because of my son. And when he's done, I won't be following college anymore again. I don't have time. <laughs> but it's not that I don't appreciate it. So tell me this, Gerard. So Cheryl Milley, I, all of her teammates say she was the best of all time then. But how about now? I know there's so many incredible players now. Would she still be considered? Yeah. Or is it these, two, these players are just beyond it because same as the, same as the men? It, it's still more. It's still more in the NBA that like now. I mean, you look at what a player like Diane Taurasi's done. You look at the, what, what Brianna Stewart's still doing. I mean, there's the current generation. Uh, Candace Parker, like they're just they're so good. And before she retired, uh, Maya Moore. I mean, the, the, the level that these women play at now, it's just different, right? It's like as generations go on, as you would just yeah. evolve, right? They're just better, right? I mean, it's just it, it's no shade, which is why we got to stop comparing eras. Ultimately. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's no, it's not, dist- it's not. We shouldn't be detracting what Cheryl Miller did or the people before her, the women before her, just mm-hmm. because the game has evolved and more people are doing it, which is great. 
Uh, yeah, I just, for, for our people listening, if you've not seen Women of Troy, uh, pour yourself a scotch and, uh, and just yeah. watch these incredible, incredible women. And I even, uh, everyone they interviewed, the Louisiana Tech ladies, I think the little guard Louisiana mm-hmm. Tech, and she, the head coach at Baylor, or was anyway, maybe she still is. Yep, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I, for people who love the sport, um, I, just, I just love that. I mean, it's not, this is not a sport for men. It's a sport for human beings. And that's a great reminder for sure. of that, that's that documentary. Well said. And shout out to a friend of the show, Adina Jones, who is a Trojan. Fight on. So, uh, last thing this week uh, for college basketball, for the first time ever in the history of college basketball, Duke and Carolina will take yeah. their rivalry to the NCAA tournament. It is the Final Four game, national semifinal, with the chance to go to the national championship game. Of course, Carolina spoiled Coach K's retirement party, his last game at home at Cameron Indoor, and ruined his, his farewell party with their upset win. Of course, he's got revenge on his mind, no matter what he tells you in the media. He 1,000% has revenge on his mind. Like like you, I don't. I used to love college basketball. I don't because the product is so bad and I can't watch it. Um, but my heart will be pulling for Carolina because I hate Duke. So. <laughs> My, son, my son's like a different approach. He's pulling for Duke. His cousin, who's been texting him all the time, goes to Duke, whatever. And um, I think he's rooting for Coach K, just, just out of respect. Uh, I think it's funny that my bro- I have a brother who was in Vegas last week, and uh, he was talking to some Carolina fans, and they were like, God damn it. Like, we had this for the rest of our lives, beating mm-hmm. Coach K in mm-hmm. his last game at home, and now we're going to yep. play this guy again? Yep. I told my brother, well, they're, they're yep. not playing in the game. The players like, we're going to fuck Duke up again. But the fans, if, if they yes. lose, like, oh, my God. We, yes. And now you can't say shit. Yes. You lose that kind of yes. bragging rights forever. So I think, I think I'm going to watch yes. the games. I'm, I told my wife, we're going to do uh, some wine and cheese and crackers and maybe some pizza. I don't know how we, what we'll do. I'll make some good booze later on. Uh, I, I, I need to watch these games. And I also love the way Villanova plays. I don't like watching it so much. Yeah. I like that he teaches the game fundamentally so soundly. Everything with Villanova yeah. is a two-foot jump stop. Pass, pivot, fake, pivot, 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 fake is under control. They slow down. College guys are running around the circle, yeah. not Villanova players. They slow down. Yep. And that's how you have to play in the NBA. Yep. Shout out to Villanova, Jay Wright. And uh, they're taking on Kansas in the other national semif- game. semifinal game. So good luck to all the players this weekend. All right, coach, our top five. You kick us For off. For the first time all season, winners of 10 of the last 15 games and really kind of finding their stride are the Canadian version of the NBA team, the Toronto Raptors, man. And, <laughs> and if you don't get fully vaxxed and you got to go there in round one, good luck. They're doing mm-hmm. much better. I like it. Number, I like it. My number five team, the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that, that, I mean, really, it should have been a tie. Dal- Dallas definitely deserves it, but I just want to bring a new team in. Number four, because of the injury only, is Boston. Because Robert Williams, that's a big miss for them. Uh, uh, they're still there, but they need to get him back to Toronto. I don't think, I don't think they'll win even... They might win round one, but there's no guarantee. The East is good. So I got Boston number four. Same for me. Boston Celtics number four. So I imagine our top three is the same. Who's your I've third I've got, team? I'll just tell you, I've got Bucks, Grizz, Suns. I love it when a plan comes together, <laughs> as Hannibal would say on the A-team. That is exactly yeah, what I, mean, I have. <laughs> it's, we've seen you know, the, the, the cream has risen. We, we see who they are. Mm-hmm. And I would have Boston at three probably if Robert was healthy. And, uh, and they would have yeah. earned it because they would have won the last couple of games. They would have beat Miami. But Miami's not in our top five, not in my top six. No, no. They've, they've, been, they've been fooling around as late. They did have a win against, a big win against uh, Boston, uh, Philly. 
Boston, Boston, excuse me. Yeah, but I, I'm still, I got to wait and see on them. Anyway, folks, thank you as always for joining us on Bring It In. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. Be Peace. Safe.